0: That's not no, that's not Welcome America. to the Midas Touch Podcast. Ben Miceles here, joined by my America. younger brothers Brett and Jordy. No, How you guys doing today? America. Doing what's up, great. What's up? Doing great. How's it going? It's going good. I'm excited. I have my client and long-term friend Akim Aliyu. On the show today, Akeem's going to talk about his fight to eradicate racism in the hockey. For those who haven't heard Akeem Aliu's compelling story, how he went and exposed hazing when he was in his teens, and then he was a victim of racism while he pursued a career in the NHL. Akeem was one of the top prospects in hockey. He was banished from the league. Every time he played in the league, he kicked ass. But Akeem never fully got the shot that he deserved because of his fight against racism. Last year, Akeem sent out a tweet heard around the hockey world where he exposed some of his coaches from the past who engaged in racism and opened up this broader conversation in the sport. So I'm super
1: excited to have Akeem Aliyu on. Ben, would it be fair to say that Akeem is the Colin Kaepernick of the hockey world? You know, as a
0: person who knows the individuals, I hate to give all-encompassing labels of this is the they're all unique in their own ways. I like to say Akeem Aliyu is the Akeem Ali in the in the hockey yep. world. And speaking on you know, the racism that Akeem experienced, there are a lot of people talking about what happened last night, the Oprah interview with Megan and Harry. And I know Jordy's getting just obliterated (laughs) on Twitter because Jordy thought it was wise to comment that he didn't care about the royal family and Jordy is getting skewered.
2: No, 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 no. What my tweet was, it was something along the lines of... uh, It's a
0: one-sentence tweet, so it's not something along the lines of three words. (laughs) You can actually
2: read the tweet if you want. We have an an hour. Yeah, so I said this. I'm just going to say it. We're giving way too much airtime to the royal family. Wow, and and conscious. to clear those
0: tweets holy, with the brothers. Holy shit! Holy and so, shit, oh my Jordy. God. And so
1: and I so can't Twitter, believe you went there. So, Are you trying so, to get midas so, touch canceled? Yeah, to trying to get midas here. Midas is destroyed. Here's
2: the thing? I'm uncancelable. I'm uncancelable at this point. You two, on the other hand, I don't know. I think you guys could still get canceled. There's nothing I could say that That's won't That's the get queen us thought. That's the queen but, thought too until last but, night. But go but, on. Yeah, but saying that, that, but someone who
0: says they're uncancelable is the most cancelable person.
2: Here's exactly what I meant by it. And after I get through this, I think everyone will understand exactly where I'm coming from. The Meghan Markle story is important. The deep-rooted racism that comes from the royal family, unfortunately, shouldn't come as a shock to anybody. It doesn't make it right by any means, but it shouldn't come as a shock that a family obsessed with bloodlines is racist.
1: The whole entire concept of the royal family is that their bloodline is superior to everybody else in the country. It's inherently a racist institution and the classes institution. it just I mean, is, they literally I mean I saw one tweet was it like is.
0: wait a minute we're focused on this interview versus the fact that this country colonized you know <laughs> a ton of countries. Like how about that wasn't proof of the racism? But go so, ahead George exactly.
2: yeah, so, so 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 look that can't lessen though, how awful Megan was treated and how it led to her having these suicidal thoughts. That's the conversation, guys, that needs to be happening. What's happening, though, in the media is that they're using Megan and her suffering as a launch pad to promote their stations and their networks. They're running royal specials, creating royal newsletters, things that don't even have to do with the issue at hand, racism and mental health. CNN, I'm looking directly at you here. Don't use someone else's pain to promote yourself and ultimately detract from the conversation of race and mental health. Megan has an important story. Don't whitewash her pain for your viewership and for your ratings. Deep Jordy, well, you could tell
1: this. The comments to Jordy's tweet, which were, by the way, ninety-eight percent very positive, (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) I think yeah, I think people are understanding. Really
2: hurt really hurt Jordy because we're, we're a little sensitive sometimes. with the tweet. And it's just the thing, though. I think people understand, though, that they're being that Megan's being right. used. Totally. And, that, and that's the disgusting part. And that's what led to my tweet.
1: I want to say two things. First, don't get so upset about tweets, Jordy, because I literally saw somebody today make a joke that if anybody puts sugar or cream in their coffee, perhaps you don't like coffee. And the comments to that, I don't even know who wrote that tweet, but I caught it this morning when I was in bed looking through my Twitter feed. The comments were like he said, like he defended Nazis or something like the the, the comments were, oh, so I bet you don't season your chicken then, asshole. Like people got <laughs> really freaking offended about this guy's joke about putting sugar and cream in coffee. So I wouldn't put that much stock into some of these comments and I wouldn't get too upset. But I'm going to disagree with you on one end of it that it's annoying that everybody's talking about the royal family because to me what it shows is that america is back we're talking about the royals we're not (laughs) we're not trying to wonder if the president is going to kill us every night on the weekends we're all gathering around the table watching oprah like i couldn't even think of doing that a year ago that america would be rallying around the royal family talking about mr potato head talking about all this dumb stuff just shows you a democrat is in the white house it's Kind of a good thing in a weird, sick way.
0: It is true, though, that the media uh, under pre-Trump presidencies, because they didn't have a crazy psychotic human being with his finger (laughs) on the nuclear trigger, did focus on other stories became major controversies. I
1: feel like we're back in the 90s or something here.
0: Exactly. I mean, (laughs) must see TV about the royal family over the pond, them airing their dirty laundry out. As we in America deal with the America Rescue Plan, as we're actually passing bills that help the American people, I can live with that this weekend. And that's what we saw, in fact, this weekend. We saw the American Rescue Plan pass in the Senate me clapping here oh, I like a yeah. clap round voices. of applause. Um, senate democrats passed the sweeping 1.9 trillion dollar american rescue plan by a vote of 50 to 49. i saw one person tweet this is asymmetrical uh partisanship where uh, the Democrats had supported the Republican efforts on the relief plans, but the Republicans do not support the Democrats on their relief plans. I think using a complicated term like asymmetrical partisanship makes this way more complex than it is. The Republicans <laughs> are a bunch of stupid so dumb right. They're just a bunch of stupid dumbasses who hate this country and selfishly just want to say no, no, no to everything and spew their bizarre bullshit conspiracy theories so that they can uphold white supremacy. Let's not give this more complicated labels. You know, I I, look, I'm all for asymmetrical. I'm, you know, use big words. We can have debates like (laughs) we're college students, but the Republicans is just a bullshit fucking political party and they don't even deserve to have big words.
1: And they voted for a lot of the same stuff that was in this bill in all the previous bills. And it shows, really, this is why it stresses me out or, and frustrates me when the media says, why isn't Joe Biden being bipartisan on a bill that's supported by more than 60% of Republicans, by nearly 80% of the American people? And they're asking Democrats why Democrats aren't being bipartisan here when Democrats voted for every other relief bill, almost every single one of them, each time there was a relief bill passed. And here is what the Republican Party voted against. They voted against $1,400 $1,400 relief checks to all Americans who qualify. That's most Americans. A weekly $300 boost to jobless benefits through September. An expansion of the child tax credits for a year. New funding into COVID-19 vaccine distribution and testing. Rental assistance for struggling households and K-12 schools for reopening costs. $14 billion in payroll support for U.S. airlines. It could cut child poverty in half. And that's the Midas Touch Show. Thanks so much for tuning in it's a long <laughs> list have, of stuff it's a long yeah. list and then you have
0: you know senators republican senators like murkowski and senator portman you know they wanted to add amendments so the democrats in an effort to be bipartisan you know allowed their amendments to come in we compromise certain areas of of the bill that we wanted to pass and what do these people do after adding the amendments, they then vote against the amendments that the Republicans themselves added. Yeah. The Republicans vote against their own amendments. <laughs> so you just can't deal logically. And then there, ba- it's
1: bad faith. It's
0: bad. And faith. then, right. And then their argument is $1.9 trillion. We can't afford that. Well, guess what? Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut broke it down like this. And what's, I guess to me, ironic about this claim that it's too expensive, that it's going to cost our kids and grandkids too much money, is that Republicans passed a tax bill that was almost to the dollar the exact same amount as this relief bill is. They passed a $1.9 trillion tax bill where the majority of the benefits went to the richest Americans who needed no more help. There was no crisis In 2017, amongst American millionaires and billionaires.
1: And that's a great clip. Biden proposed this $1.9 trillion plan. A $1.9 trillion plan was passed. Republicans have an issue with it, despite the fact that they passed $1.9 trillion worth in tax cuts. But for some reason, it's okay when you're spending $1.9 trillion to make a tax burden less on their on their richest friends. On the millionaires on and billionaires. But suddenly, when you got to give checks to, and, and increase vaccine distribution and give money to schools to reopen, suddenly that's too
2: much money. The GOP. They don't care about Americans. They care about their donors at the end of the day. That's it. That's their whole driving force and motivation behind all of this nonsense.
0: Millionaires and billionaires. I hate to break it to most Americans, the vast majority, 90 plus percent of Americans. You're not a millionaire. And if you're not in the 1% of the 1%, you're not a billionaire. So why you would want to support a political party in the Republicans whose only thing they've ever delivered is for the 1% when you're not that, you need to really look yourself in the mirror. Look at the bill that the Democrats just passed and say, wait a minute, all of those things actually help me but I'm supporting the 2017 tax cut. I mean, you are supporting as a Republican the belief in trickled out economics, which never works. Your whole view is that we should give the billionaires a ton of money and hope we get their sloppy 12ths not even their sloppy seconds or thirds. Like you generally believe, let's give the billionaires money and hope that trickles down to me. Imagine if you are the person in Kentucky or you are living in Idaho and you're a struggling farmer and you're supporting a bill to give billionaires billions more dollars, hoping it trickles down to me and my family. It'll trickle, it'll trickle, trickle down, Ben. It's gonna trickle. I, I hope it trickles to me <laughs> after they buy more homes and more yachts and more private jets, just maybe I'll get a little bit of that trickle down to me. That's what you believe if you're a Republican, other than Dr. Seuss, uh,
1: uh, lies about
0: Dr. Seuss.
1: This is why they bring up bullshit things like Dr. Seuss that nobody in this country really cares about, but they make up the fake idea that Dr. Seuss was canceled, which isn't even a thing, a private- You made
0: the greatest point though. and You got to reiterate <laughs> your Dr. Seuss theory, Brett, because I think it's yeah. brilliant.
1: My concept is if you're going to rail against the decisions of Dr. Seuss Enterprises for removing the specific books that they removed, if it makes you that upset, I want you to argue, that those books, not Cat in the Hat, not Green Eggs and Ham, not whatever other, oh, the places you'll go. Don't bring up all these other Dr. Seuss books. I want you to argue that the content, the racist, the extremely racist content in the Dr. Seuss books that were removed from being published. I want you to defend that. Put up those cartoons on Fox News. Put up those cartoons on Newsmax and say, this is what I want my kids to be reading. This is is what I want to defend. Stand by your principles. (laughs) Like when Congressman Kevin McCarthy is reading
0: Cat in the Hat, there's no issue with Cat in the Hat. Why are you reading that book? Hold the photos up that portray the Asian community heinously and despicably. Hold those photos up that Dr. Seuss painted and say, yeah, read that
1: one and put that one out there, McCarthy. But you don't even do that. This is why Republicans love cultural issues, though, because they're not working in the interests of the American people. They were up all night to try to block COVID relief from getting to the American people. The Democrats were up all night to try to get COVID relief to the American people. And the reason they bring up Cat in the Hat, the reason they bring up Mr. Potato Head, the reason uh, they (laughs) bring the reason they bring up the Muppets. It's to distract from the fact that not only are they not helping the American people, but they're actually actively trying to harm the American people. So they detract their base by saying, Democrats are trying to take away Dr. Seuss from your kids. And they try to scare their base, and it works. It's why they do it, even though it's so ridiculous. But you just need to kind of call it out forcefully and do what Joe Biden does, which is just put your head down, do the work, and then let people know that you're fighting for them and what you've accomplished for them. Because when people get those $1,400 checks, I bet the person who's whining about Dr. Seuss, I bet they deposit that check when it comes in the mail.
0: What, What do you guys think about Senator Manchin, though? We were incredibly appropriately harsh on Senator Manchin for his defense of the filibuster as we pointed out he's 73 years old Great and looking will serve 73 until great looking he's a very handsome 73 year old man i mean <laughs> i mean in terms of 70 have you ever seen a 73 year old Never. look like no, that i, don't know. I need I know. to see his birth certificate to actually <laughs> validate that he's 73 and not doing one of those things where it's like you know, he's actually in his mid 60s, but using the cl- the clout of the extra age. But now he's out there saying that he thinks that the filibuster should be reformed or, or be made more difficult. I'm going to continue to support
2: the filibuster. I think it defines who we are as a Senate. I'll make it harder to get rid of it, but it should be painful if you want to use it. But do you
0: just think that he's trying to
1: have it both ways? No, I think it's interesting. I think I think what he's saying is actually, I think it's actually a reasonable take. It's still frustrating as hell, but I think he's telegraphed a way that Democrats could actually make substantial change to the filibuster. And what we heard is that Joe Manchin is saying that, okay, you know, I'm not going to get rid of the filibuster. I have no intention ever of getting rid of the filibuster. But I love the filibuster. The filibuster. I, love, I love the I filibuster. Love my filibuster. I love my filibuster <laughs> more than I love voting rights. I love my filibuster <laughs> love more love than I, filibuster. I love healthcare and more than I love immigration reform <laughs> and everything. But what he already said is, I'm not getting rid of the filibuster, but... What I am open to, and this is important, is that if you're going to invoke the filibuster, you actually have to filibuster. It used to be the case where if you filibustered, I mean, when we learned it growing up in in civics classes, what you had to do is you actually had to stand there for hours on end and filibuster. you had to speak constantly. You had to actually be talking, reading random passages of whatever you had to actually put in work, and it was painful. It was a you had to read it effort. for.
2: Infinity hours. On and one now, of the things our history teacher, Mr. Buckman, taught us.
1: Yes, but now the way it's set up is you could say, I'm doing a filibuster. And you could immediately bring everything to a halt without any of the actual work of the filibuster, as long as there aren't 60 votes to overcome the filibuster. So it's been totally bastardized into the way that it is now. I actually think that what Joe Manchin's saying, bastardized, Bastardized. yes, Ben. Sometimes I break out the big words too asymmetrical, (laughs) bastardized, you know, and bringing it back. you don't even know if that's the real way to use it? Uh, Google it, then. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> sure you can. The point being, though, this opens up an opportunity for Democrats to reform the filibuster. And now we have to figure out if this is a viable way. How many votes will we need to actually reform the filibuster? Would we need 60? Are we still going to have to get 10 Republicans on board to reform the filibuster in that way? Because if we do, I don't think it's going to happen. But I think that is at least Joe Manchin showing his cards a little bit and showing how we could make some good change going forward
0: do you believe Jordy that what Joe Manchin is relying on here is that Republicans can't read and therefore (laughs) they won't be able to read the bills because they're incapable of actually reading and doing
2: work I think that's certainly part of it I think that's certainly part of it I want to go back to something real quick you guys you know they call me Hall of Fame Jordy three out of (laughs) ten ideas we were talking about Dr. Seuss just a little bit ago Brett Ben video idea Ready? Are are you doing this
1: live? Okay. Okay. Doing
2: this live. All right. Three out of 10. So the video is just that. Republicans defending Dr. Seuss. Now, this would have to be done with extreme tact. And then juxtaposing it against the actual awful imagery that Dr. Seuss Inc. is removing. You have whomever, the Tucker Carlson's, the the real politicians actually out there defending, you know, oh, green eggs and ham, blah, blah, blah. But talking about Dr. Seuss and how it's all cancel culture. But then we show really the books and the imagery that are being canceled and removed from rotation.
1: I do like the idea. However, I think any sort of videos, I think for the most part, should be showing the pointless nature I think should be showing the pointless nature. You have like of a taser the, back there, Brett. Did no, a taser it's, my, it's I got my, my dog who's shaking. Uh, the pointless nature of the Doctor Seuss fight amidst Democrats actually fighting for policy changes and stuff like that. Because oh. you know you could run this culture war forever, and Tucker Carlson's going to be an asshole, and Ben Shapiro's going to be an asshole. They're going to talk about this all all day long and it into the ground. But I think what we need to highlight is that while all this dumb shit is going on, what Republicans are doing while they're whining about cat in the hat, while they're whining about Mr. Potato Head, Democrats are getting stuff done for the American people and that they actually are serious politicians working for people. So I think that's how I would shift that because I think that's Folks, that is
0: how a Midas Touch video is made. We will show you the video when it's, we will show you the, Brett's got like a taser going off in the background. I'm
1: watching, I'm watching my dog because my wife is working in the other room (laughs) And uh, when it shakes,
0: it sounds like you have like a taser going off. It's
1: her collar. Leave Mochi Mochi alone.
0: (laughs) So we would be remiss, though, if we also did not point out, though, that it does seem that many Republican senators have simply just had enough. They see the crazy direction that this party is going in, and they'd like to have none of it for their legacy, even though they are responsible for creating it. Um, So, for example, on Monday morning, Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri announced that he will be retiring in twenty twenty two. Bye bye, Roy. Blunt. Roy Blunt out there saying goodbye and smoking the Roy Blunt. This (laughs) makes him the fifth GOP senator that has announced their upcoming retirements. Other senators smoking the Roy Blunt is Richard Shelby, Republican from Alabama, smoking the big Roy Blunt. (laughs) Rod Portman from Ohio, he's smoking a little, a little spliffy Roy Blunt. Pat Toomey, you know, Pat Toomey smokes the big Roy Blunts. And Richard Burr from North Carolina, he's been smoking that Roy Blunt for some time now. So those are all of your senators, including Roy Blunt, who are out there smoking the Roy Blunt. They're not having they're not having any of this heat, and many believe that Ron Johnson, who is high so much, at least he appears to be high so much, he's probably smoking the Roy blunt, and Chuck Grassley, um, he's in his nineties. He's probably he's probably doing he's putting the grass bullshit. in Grassley with that Roy blunt. Yeah, he's probably not even smoking that Roy blunt. He's probably shooting some. Uh, I won't even go there with Grassley and his pigeon, uh, his pigeon tweets. Yeah. Um, What are the pigeon tweets? I don't know if you guys
1: have ever seen them, but Grassley will tweet just random tweets about pigeons and random things like with typos and all caps. And it almost sometimes looks like he accidentally sent a tweet that was supposed to be a private text to somebody or that like he pocket dialed or pocket pocket tweeted. It's very weird stuff. He'd be like, found your pigeon.
0: Spelled like P I D G I N -N. (laughs) Found your pigeon in the street. Put tag on pigeon alert, (laughs) alert, real tweets, real tweets. Yeah, alert, uh, alert, uh, alert, horsey don't like pigeon. You know what it really reminds me (laughs) of
2: is like one of the opening scenes to Billy Madison when Billy sees the penguin and he just starts chasing after this imaginary penguin is how I see those tweets play out live. Okay, we're getting a little off the rails here, Ben. What's next? Shampoo makes your hair clean. (laughs) In addition, do you guys
0: think that Senate minority leader Mitch McConnell, is he going to smoke the Roy Blunt? By the way, for those who don't know, smoking the Roy Blunt means retire. That's a new Midas touch terms. Who's smoking
1: the Roy Blunt? So is Mitch McConnell going to smoke the Roy blunt (laughs) apparently he's thinking about it I mean there was a report that he's trying to figure out his his succession plan because McConnell is trying to figure out who will take his spot if he were to leave before his term is up as you know he just won another term against Amy McGrath in Kentucky come on Kentucky Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul Come on, guys, we could do better than we could do better than these two. Under current law, the power to appoint McConnell's replacement would fall to the current Democratic governor, Andy Beshear but McConnell is apparently working in the back rooms trying to get new legislation passed in the Kentucky General Assembly that would strip the governor, this is such an evil man, that would strip the governor of this power to put the power in the hands of the state GOP to name his replacement. Everyone kind of knows at this point that it's McConnell being the one who's pushing this bill so that he can name his own replacement. But the claims about as to why He's pushing this bill, why he's considering leaving the Senate very. Some people think it's age, some people think it's health concerns. Some people think that it could be investigations into his wife, Elaine Chow, which are underway right now. So a lot of people are speculating. I don't think we know the answer just yet, but I think we could all agree that having no Mitch McConnell in the Senate would be nice. And it's a lot of rats right now fleeing this sinking ship of the GOP. And I think this is why. As Democrats, this is why, as Midas touch, we have an always-on approach here that we hope the Democratic Party takes note of. We need to be fighting for those races today. We need to start naming candidates. We need to start rallying people around these Senate seats today because we need to win them. We need to flip the Senate so that Joe Manchin doesn't hold as much power as Joe Manchin holds. We need to be always on. We need to be doing this now, today.
0: I agree with you, and I just would be remiss if I didn't mention that this is one of the other GQP scams right now is trying to preclude the governors of having power because as democratic governors come into power now the one of the ways the gqp cheats is by basically having the state legislatures or assemblies that was a whole theory they were trying to push in the election to yeah. that the governors don't have any authority it should be the legislatures and then i guarantee you if the legislatures become democratic it should be the governors these are horrible awful cheaters and as brett said we need to go with the unified message that it is actually the Democratic party that is delivering for the American people. When we come back on the Midas Touch podcast, we will be here with my friend, my client, the brave and heroic, Akeem Aliou. We will be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. I am so excited because we are here with my client, one of my best friends in the world, Akeem Aliyu, what's up, Akeem? How are you?
3: I'm good. I'm good. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so proud of what you guys have been doing and what you guys have built. So I'm honored to share this platform with you.
0: And I'm proud of what you've built, Akeem. Professional hockey player. Akeem is now the chairman of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, an organization to eradicate racism in hockey. And I met Akeem probably November or so of, was it 2019, Akeem?
3: 2019, yes, sir.
0: And uh, Akeem, what were the circumstances in which we met where you made national headlines and then continued thereafter to make national headlines for your work exposing racism in the sport of hockey?
3: Obviously, it was um, one of those things where um, when I sent my tweet, it was it was never anything that was calculated or really knew what kind of reaction I would get. Um, And obviously things kind of blew up pretty fast for me. So it's funny because I don't even think I've ever told you the reason how I found you. So this would be cool to, to, to talk about in the show, breaking, too. So. Breaking oh, some break news. Some news yeah.
0: a team. Before yeah. you tell how <laughs> you found us, tell us what the tweet was. Our audience is very political, but they yeah. may not know the hockey culture at that time. So if you can describe what the tweet was, what made you tweet it, and then how you met me.
3: Yeah, so um, it was one of those things where I, I, I was sitting around and um, kind of saw things happen over and over with, um, coach to player abuse, um, racial abuse in in hockey that I've obviously dealt with since since I was a little kid and uh, my mindset obviously kind of changed from um, it being all about me and trying to advance in the sport and get better um, and move up ranks to paving a path for for the next generation and how it could be smoother for them because I obviously think at the at the end of the day people are gonna remember you for what what you left the game like behind so. Um, my tweet was about essentially a racial incident that happened to me in, um, 2010. Um, I was a rookie playing for the Chicago Blackhawks, um, system in the American league, which is the level lower than the NHL. Um, and I kind of ran the music in the, in the dressing room. And, um, the coach came in one day and said, Hey, Akeem, I'm sick of you playing this nigger shit every day, nigger, this nigger, that. Um, and it was kind of, one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me, you can hear a pin drop in the dressing room um, and people didn't know how to react. I mean, in the, since then, the 11 years pro and four years of major junior that I played with, I've only played with one other black person in, uh, in my life. And obviously that, that day in the dressing room, there was no other people of color in the dressing room. So it was super awkward um, to say the least um, guys were kind of looking over from the corner of their eye, but didn't really know how to react. And, Um, it was one of those things where you kind of felt helpless because even if you stood up and did something or went crazy as I probably should have, you'd be looked at as the angry black guy. Um, and hockey's obviously still has a lot of issues, but 10 years ago it was, it was that much worse where, um, a certain few individuals have essentially your career in the palm of their hands and they navigate it as they see fit and when they see fit. So for a long time, I was scared to speak out. Um, but obviously, I, I summed up the courage to do that, like I said, because I just felt like the game was more than about me and advancing my own personal agenda, but it was about the kids coming up. So that's a little bit about how that happened.
0: And then the next year, after you experienced that in 2010, you had an experience in Colorado, um, which you also, which was also shared publicly as well. And what was that experience?
3: Yeah, that was uh, it. It was another. Um, crazy thing. Um, I, uh, I was invited late to, uh, I was playing in Colorado at the time for the Winnipeg Jets farm team. Um, a, a, once again, a level lower before below the NHL. Um, and I was told to come late to a Halloween party. Um, and obviously at the time I didn't know that, um, I would be showing up late. I thought the party would start at the time that I was invited to come. Um, and I showed up and my trainer, uh, I went down to the basement and the whole team was already there. And my trainer at the time, um, kind of came out from behind a corner and he was wearing, um, the Colorado, our team Jersey. And he had my nickname dreamer, um, on, on his back. Um, but he was wearing, um, an Afro and he was painted in all black. He had the black face on and like the red lips and, and all that. Um, and he jumped out and kind of started making these funny noises and, um, it was it was the most awkward thing because it was a, it was a, it was a team party with with wives and kids and and all that and everybody thought it was really funny but obviously my dad being black and I kind of know the history of, of 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 blackface and 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 just what it's done to people and how it portrays black people. Um, so I definitely knew there was something wrong with that but it was another instance where what are you going to do? Like you're going to go crazy in a, in a in a room with with kids and wives and 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 your coaches and and everybody. So, um, I kind of had to swallow it up again, take a bunch of pictures, and kind of made made of a fool. And um, obviously, the following day, I had something to say to the team, and um, they thought that I was in the wrong. And I ended up going home from that and and, and requesting a trade, and that's when I got traded to Calgary.
0: And Akim, if you can tell us just briefly your journey from russia nigeria to canada um and your experience getting into hockey
3: yeah so i was born in africa in nigeria um when i was 11 months um obviously my dad's nigerian um when i was 11 months old i moved to the ukraine to kiev um and then i split time between kiev and moscow so um i was there till about nine years old uh my mom's uh ukrainian um so my dad met my mom in university. Um, he was on a partial track, partial scholastic scholarship and met my mom in university. Um, my brother was actually born in Kiev um, in, in 83. He's six years, seven years older than me. Um, so after that, we migrated to, to Toronto um, in 98 um, and we moved downtown. Um, and obviously it was um, one of those things where I feel it's it's hard to say where for the longest time, I was kind of ashamed and embarrassed of my upbringing just because financially we, we weren't as obviously, especially being in Canada, you know the difference when um, you're not as financially well off as other people. So I was embarrassed. But now I'm almost proud of the fact that I saw so many things um, growing up. Um, I saw my mom be one of the only white white people in, in a small village in Africa and the way people look down upon her. And that's one thing I preach to everybody. There's race everywhere we look. Um, racism everywhere we look. So I saw the way she handled that. I saw my dad having a lot of issues in the late 70s and 80s, being strip searched by cops, being robbed a couple times a month, being beat up um, in the Soviet Union in the late 70s, early 80s. And just the way they handled that. Saw my dad come home crying many nights. And it was one of those things that stick with you. You're eight, nine, ten years old. But Um, those things stick with you. And the reason why we moved to Canada is because my parents obviously knew we, myself and my brother had zero future being black kids in in, in the Soviet Union at the time. Um, And then coming here was one of those things where things were obviously much better as Canada is a much better country and I'm proud Canadian, but um, socioeconomically and and financially, it was really tough for us. Um, We were in a city, we lived on welfare for years, hard to make ends meet. My parents' degrees didn't mean anything Um, They moved here with two kids um, in their, in their forties and literally had to start life all over again. Um, So I saw them scratch and crawl the way up. And then to top it off, I wanted to play the most expensive sport possible. Um, So obviously that, uh, that brought up its whole new challenges of trying to be able to play the game. Um, It was really tough in the beginning, buying stuff at garage sales and taking buses three, four hours across the city to get the, the games and, it was one of those things, like you remember a little things, like coming off the bus and hiding because you didn't want to see, your, you didn't want your teammates to see that you're coming off public transportation while they're rolling in and trucks and Maseratis and all those things. So I always knew that I was a little bit different. Um, I didn't really understand how until I got a little bit older. But it was one of those things that now I, I'm grateful for for those experiences. I think I learned a lot.
0: And Akeem is incredibly humble, but he became one of the, if not the top prospect in Canadian hockey Um, and Akeem experienced a hazing incident. Akeem has always been someone who's just called out racism, violence, bullshit. And that's what I've always appreciated and respected. He's the most real person I know but it didn't just happen recently. He's been doing it his whole life. And so, Akeem, if you can talk about the incident um, when you were a teenager and the hazing experience you exposed and how that impacted your prospects going into the league, despite everybody seeing you as the top hockey player in Canada.
3: Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Um, it was, what well, it it's tough because I was drafted at sixth overall to Windsor, so I was the sixth quote-unquote, if you can say that, the sixth best player in Canada in my age group. Um, So I got drafted by Windsor, and and during training camp, there was a guy named Steve Downey who um, the first day I got to town, and it's one of those things where you need to understand the context um, of of the way it works. We live with billet families, so I moved away from home at 15 years old to live with a family that took me in, in 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 the town that I was playing in about four hours from here, Windsor, Ontario um so it was the first day that I got to to Windsor and my parents dropped me off with my bags and, and took off so obviously I'm trying to get my bearings I've never been away from home I'm 15 years old and um one of the older guys named Mike Weber who ended up playing for the Buffalo Sabres said hey we're going to Steve Downey's house and he was the a first round pick to the Philadelphia Flyers of so the National Hockey League so he was like the the shit in town you know what I mean the cool guy had success in major junior. It was an NHL draft pick. Played for the Olympic team. Um, so he was he was he was essentially the man on the team. And I walked into the basement the first night in Windsor. I'll never forget it. And he said, "What's this nigger doing in my basement?" And that's kind of the way things started for me in junior. And it was one of those things I just swallowed up and ate up. I mean, I'm a 16 year old. I was the youngest player. After me was 18 years old on that team, and they'd already formed a relationship. And it's my first 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 night in town. So obviously I I ate that. And then as training camp got going, um, I was coming off an Achilles, Achilles tear. Um, So I was out for about eight months after surgery, just rehabbing, um, hoping to start the season on time. And he just started doing little things like shooting pucks at my Achilles and started putting tiger bomb in my jock and throwing my clothes on top of the arena roof. So I couldn't get it after practice, throwing my my shit in the shower um, after practices and, Um, We were on our, we were on a trip. Um, It was an exhibition game to Sarnia about an hour and a half away from Windsor. And he called all the, him and the veterans called all the players to the back of the bus um, and said, all the rookies um, have to strip down naked. And those Greyhound buses, I'm sure everybody can picture them. And essentially you guys all have to go into the bathroom, which is, I don't know the size like you could put your I could wrap my hands around how big that bathroom was and the six of us went into the bathroom naked and they shut the door and turned up the heat and you could imagine like hockey guys are pretty big guys and six naked hockey players men in a bathroom locked in and they locked the door and turned the heat up and obviously guys start panicking and getting claustrophobic and one guy threw up and so then I just like snapped in panic and started punching the door open for like two three minutes and then finally um, he opened the door and I said I'm done with this I'm done so it was essentially a hazing ritual that quote-unquote every rookie has to go through so I said I'm done and he's like no you're getting back in there and I said I'm fucking done like I'm done and he pushed me and I hit him on the bus and we got into a little scuffle um, so then he said to me watch what happens next practice so I didn't think anything of it like I didn't think like two days later he was going to remember it and in the warm-up drill of next practice he I felt a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and he crushed checked me in the mouth and knocked out my whole top row and four teeth oh on the in the bottom row um, so then obviously I ended up fighting him again on the ice and um, the fight got broken up and it was one of those things where the it was it was Tuesday so Uh, media was around Um, so they caught wind of it I think it was one of those things where if it wasn't even a Tuesday I don't think anyone would have known anything about it and then it just became national news here across Canada and like I think people gotta understand like I'm a black inner city kid and like I just wasn't ready for that shit like being in a little town like that all that media coverage across the nation and my dad's not a hockey guy he didn't see a ring till he was 40 years old like my mom doesn't know much about hockey so it was just a shitty, shitty situation that I didn't really know how to control. And um, from that, I ended up being the villain as the guy that fought back. Um, and he ended up continuing to play for Team Canada. My, my draft stock fell, fell, fell. Um, at the midterm rankings, I was ranked the fifth player in North America to go to the NHL draft. Um, so and then next rankings, I'm 35. Following rankings, I'm 56. And I just don't, didn't understand what was going on. And over that time, I just developed a reputation for being, I guess I stood up for myself, but my reputation was being difficult, not going with the old boys club and not being able to fit in and not, not going with the rituals. So that was tough to take to.
0: And it came just with the visual of the bathroom. You're six feet four.
3: Yeah, I'm six, two twenty. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So you can imagine cramming six people in the Greyhound. Now, talk about you meeting me and the story that I've never heard. So the context behind it, though, is is that after Akeem went through these experiences, he was labeled a troublemaker. Anytime Akeem was able to play, he always did great, you know, but his chances of playing were far and few. But anytime they put him in an NHL game, um, he would score. You know, even when they would put him in the minors, he'd score. Um, but he would never actually get the chance to stay on a team because they would treat him as the difficult guy and they would tell the agent we don't want difficult guys and that was the label basically for a black NHL player at the time which was a a difficult guy so that gives you the context of Akeem sending that tweet that he mentioned at the beginning of the interview and then Akeem meets me.
3: Yeah so it was my, my tweet was sent from a, a sauna in, at my gym, actually. That's how much planning I put into it about Bill Peters and the racial incident that happened in Rockford. And then, like, literally put my phone away and I come back to it 20 minutes later after my shower and my phone is, like, literally hot, like, going going off. Like, I think at that time I had, like, 2,000 followers. By the time I get back to my phone, like, it's, it's just going insane. Um, and obviously, everyone's trying to reach me, local media international media so I start to panic because I don't know how to handle it so I call my dad and my dad's like what like what's going on like I saw I see your tweet up on sports center and I didn't tell him anything about it so he's like what's going on and I was like yeah I don't know dad like my bad like it was just like a a spur of the moment thing and I just said who cares I'm going to send this tweet so then my brother and my my, uh, my my brother and his girlfriend come over and we're just like, my phone's going off. There's people outside my house. My my like, it's 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 insane. So then she just like out of nowhere, she's like, you know, like Colin Kaepernick dealt with something like this. Why don't you try to get in touch with his people? And I'm like, there's no chance Colin Kaepernick's people are gonna want to deal with me. Like I'm a nobody, you know what I'm saying? Like what it, so then she went online and she Googled um Colin Kaepernick's attorney. And we contacted Ben's office and told them kind of what was going on. And I don't know who I got I can't remember her name, but it was, it was a, she, but she's like, I'm going to get you in touch with the right person within. I went for a walk because I just didn't know what to do. I took my dog for a walk. And I remember this, like it was yesterday, like deja vu. Um, ben called me when I was in the park, just around the corner from my house and essentially said like, Hey, what's going on? I'm Ben. Um, I, I rep call in. Um, how are things going? And I kind of filled, filled you in on everything. Um, you said you'd hit me back. You kind of did your research. You hit me back within half an hour. And that's how our our brotherhood formed. And we've talked for what every day ever since. Um,
0: every day and- since. And if we don't talk one day, we're like, what did I do to you? What, why, uh- <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Guys, guys well, get sensitive. Yeah, yeah. And then we flew in. I, I flew the next day yeah. from, from L.A. to Toronto we yep. met in person we met with uh, the the heads of the NHL and then you and i paved the path that led eventually to the creation of the hockey diversity alliance you've worked since that time with youth you've built coalitions and groups to help uh, shed a light on racism in hockey. You've pushed the game forward in in major ways and made uh, and prioritized hiring of black and brown people. And you have brought attention to that this exists at all levels. And just tell us briefly about the Hockey Diversity Alliance that you created and that you're the chairman of. And actually you met with Colin Kaepernick about that when that was being created. And the HDA, as it's called, has become a major force in professional hockey and all hockey around the world and giving a voice to black and brown hockey players.
3: Yeah. Uh, You know me, Ben, I'm, I'm, I'm super honest and a lot of these things that you, you bring up were your idea, like I I'm honest about it and and it's the truth. I've learned so much from you since day one that I'm forever grateful for. And the HDA was your idea as well. Um, You said, why don't we get players of color together guys that have been through it um, and that's when I went and contacted a bunch of guys that obviously that I know in and around the league and which what, what is now the HDA and we came together I would say really raw and authentically where we just kind of shared stories for about a month and a half and just realized that we've all been through the same thing and Colin was generous enough um, obviously the guys were star starstruck, and Colin was generous enough to um, to come on a call with us and just uh, lend his Um, expertise and everything that he's gone through and what he continues to go through. And I'll never forget it. One thing he said to us, it's all about sticking together. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to try to pull us apart. And um, he he even understood the fact that football is a lot different than hockey is. There's only a handful of us playing the game. So it's going to be that much harder for us to make a difference. Um, But his, his, um, his, his, what the message that he sent to us was completely invaluable and, Um, He really taught us a lot in that conversation. And since then we've grown, I mean, we're doing so many good things. I think um, I don't want to, I don't want to take the credit or the HDA, but this is the first time in our game where we have a black assistant coach in the NHL. We have black referee. The first black referee in the American league was actually a good buddy of mine. We have a black assistant GM, which has never happened before. Uh, We have a black announcer in Seattle coming up. That's never happened before. So two guys on the HDA, one's a head of player development, Chris Stewart in Philadelphia, Trevor Daly's working in Pittsburgh. So I think we've just, we in, in a very short time, we've done so much um, in, in in working with youth, obviously with my own time to dream foundation and the plans we have with the HDA for camps and um, a lot of inner city initiatives, which I think are lacking in the game. And, and, and we we want to reach those kids that look like us. I think that's the most important thing. And I think, the NHL doesn't understand the fact that if you reach a larger demographic, your pool of talent is going to be that much better. So, but they, they kind of feel like status quo is, 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 is good for them. And they like the the quote unquote white fans that they have now in the corporate fans. And, but we're going to continue to push um, on, on, on our own here and continue to grow the game. And I think we're doing an amazing job at it. And I think we're just getting started.
2: Hakeem, one of the things I, I really admire about you is you, you don't just talk the talk, but, but, you, but you walk the walk as well. And what I mean by that is what well, you mentioned earlier about hockey. For those who don't know, it's an incredibly expensive sport. You have to buy ice time. The equipment is just absurd. And so yes. what you do, and as I follow you on social media, you're one of my favorite followers. I see you with all these kids, either in the inner city or just really the next generation of, of hockey players. How much does that mean to you? How important is that for you to really grow the game for people who may not have the opportunity to play?
3: Yeah, no, that's an amazing question. Being honest, I fight every day with feeling like, and I talked to Colin about this a lot, like feeling like my dream was ripped away from me. So I have this like hate towards the game, but I still have a love for it that I want kids that look like me and were in my circumstances to be able to be successful for it. So I'm not gonna, I, I'll tell the truth, like, it might not sound great, but I battle with that every day. I have a love-hate relationship. But it's to me, that's the number one thing is to 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 touch those kids that that were me 10, 15 years ago and and give them an opportunity. I think a lot of kids get um, exiled in a way out of the game before they even get started because of um, costs and and just how expensive it is. Like a pair of skates is a thousand dollars to get on the ice is three hundred bucks an hour. And there's just right away kids get eliminated out of the game before they even have an opportunity to show their skill. And that was, I was this close to being me. I had a few certain individuals. Martin Ross was my minor hockey coach and he gave me an opportunity to play for free when I wouldn't have been able to play triple a anywhere else. And without him, I'm still tied, tied, tied to him by the hip. without him. I never make it to the OHL. I never make it to get drafted in the NHL or play or play in the NHL. So I just want to be able to, to look back 10, 15 years from now and kids say, hey, because of Akeem, I didn't quit or because of Akeem and what he's doing with this foundation. I was given an opportunity to play the game and stay in the game and be successful in the game. So to me, that's first and foremost, most important. And that goes beyond my legal issues with the NHL and all the other shit that comes with it. It's, it's helping the next generation.
1: i'd argue that it goes beyond hockey itself i I think there are kids out there you know black kids out there who want to be scientists who want to be doctors who want to do a whole host of things and they don't have a pathway or they faced these barriers of racism along the way and got discouraged because of it. And I think what you're doing is, is so, the ripple effect will be so much bigger than hockey at the end of the day to so many kids out there.
3: I'm with you on that. And to be honest, I'm just learning that I, I had a hockey mindset about it, but I think it's societal. I think people of color go through the same issues in the corporate world um, where there's not many of them. They're, they're too scared to, to, to speak up or kids trying to go to law school kids trying to go to medical school there is a it's very disproportionately low numbers of black and brown kids doing the, doing these things so if you can have a little bit of a influence on on the way society looks at people of color in every avenue of life i think it, that'll be
1: amazing what would you say to those kids would you echo colin's statements to you to stick together would you have anything to add to that
3: Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's being proud, proud of yourself. I think that's, that's what I would add. I, it's funny. I was talking to to my girlfriend Chrissy about this and um, being so around white people in the sports that I played it, it at a point it became where I was like trying to be like them. You know what I mean? Dress like them, do stuff with my hair like them. And it was like subconscious. And I didn't really understand it until I got older that, I got to be proud of me, like whatever I am, like there's only one of me. And now like I'm, I'm so confident in my skin. Like it, it, you can't say anything to me to really phase me. So I think it takes a certain level of bullshit to go through, to get to that, to be honest. yeah. Um, And I hope most kids don't have to go through or all kids don't have to go through what I went through to get to this place. But that's kind of what I would, I would preach the most.
0: Keem Aliu, thank you so much for joining us on the Midas Touch podcast. Thanks for being a great friend, a great confidant in everything we do together. And I know uh, we're just beginning our journey together. So thank you man, so much.
3: Man, pleasure's all mine. You guys are amazing. And what you guys have built in the last seven, eight months is nothing shy of incredible. So I'm so proud of you guys, man, and keep going. Thank you so much.
0: We will be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Akeem Aliyu. it was so incredible to get to share his story with our audience. I think many Midas Touch supporters do know this the story of Akeem Aliyu, But a lot of us, just because we cover just raw politics so much, don't get to hear that story. It's really one of the most inspirational and incredible st- stories I know.
1: And Ben, let me drop some facts for the listeners here, because what people do not know, I'd be remiss if I did not mention this, is that Akim Aliou is integral to the birth of Midas touch itself. Do you remember when we started Midas Touch? And you could still out there right now, if you looked at our account, our very first tweet, which I believe was on March 27th, a couple days after we made our account, is a video of Akeem Aliyu. He was literally the first tweet we ever did, was the Akeem Aliyu video challenge. It was at the beginning of the pandemic. And we at first at that time, we're not a political action committee, but we were a, a blog and we we're trying to do news and things like that and akeem did this video where he was balancing a piece of exercise equipment he wasn't wearing his shirt and he he was rolling oh it's a really impressive video that let me pull it up so i'm on it now It was posted march 27th it has five likes all of which are us (laughs) All, all of which are only us and two retweets both of which are only us and it has 50 views And I think we may have to now. (laughs) So it it says, "Pro hockey star and social justice leader Dreamer Aliyu is keeping spirits up with a new viral video challenge he created from home. Evidently, not very viral. Not very (laughs) viral. (laughs) We
2: we go. We got to retweet it tomorrow at some point. We'll make it viral now.
1: uh, Yeah." (laughs) But look it up and and we'll retweet it out. But Hakeem has been a, in in addition to just being such an amazing person and, you know, his story was so heartwarming and and the role that you guys played together to build this hockey diversity alliance is really special. And the fact that he put all this work into also helping us start Midas Touch and has supported us literally when we were the only people liking our own content. I love (laughs) Hakeem. So I think before we wrap up the show, guys, I think we should... Just hit on some of the big news of the week that people need to know. There's a lot going on. Ben, why don't you kind of just tell the people what's happening these days? Yeah,
0: so Lindsey Graham gave a very strange interview saying that Trump is uh, very dark, has lots of dark magic, um, and is, can be incredibly evil, but that he thinks that he can harness the good out of Donald Trump. There's something about Trump. There's a dark side and there's some magic there. What I'm trying to do is just harness the magic.
1: This was an interview with Axios reporter, Jonathan Swan. Jonathan Swan's face the entire interview. His mouth is just agape looking at him like, what the fuck is this guy saying? (laughs) Lindsey Graham is like, well, you must not know me very well. And Jonathan Swan's like, yeah, that's why I'm asking you questions.
3: (laughs) My election's
2: over. Yeah. I could throw him over tomorrow. Right. Why aren't I? Yeah, that's what I really don't understand. Okay, well, then you don't understand me very much. That's I don't. That's why I'm asking. That's you. right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: trying to understand what the hell you're talking about.
0: That's why we're doing this. It was one of the. Go watch that interview if you've got some time. Trump is still losing um, the election. I guess one of the things that many people don't realize is some of these. Lawsuits are still that he filed the 60 or 70 lawsuits, <laughs> all of which he lost other than one lawsuit, which was irrelevant to any outcome of anything, but is continue. Trump continues to lose these (laughs) lawsuits. He just lost a case in uh, Wisconsin um, and, you know, just a myriad of losses, the worst legal record, I think, in the history of American jurisprudence. There are also reports that Manhattan DA Cy Vance is actively working to flip Trump organization CFO Allen Weisselberg and his investigation into Donald Trump. And we're also aware that Georgia prosecutors are investigating Trump election interference and have hired a top racketeering attorney to do that. Um, And other news uh, in more DeSantis, Death Santis corruption, Florida officials are calling on the FBI to investigate, quote unquote, red carpet vaccine, where Death Santis was prioritizing vaccines for wealthy communities in a quid pro quo for campaign donations. DeSantis claims that's not the case, which probably means it is the case because everything <laughs> to San- Death Santa says is a lie. In positive news, positive in the negative sense, as Trump would say, oh, what a COVID, rate, <laughs> COVID is now spreading at the slowest rate since the beginning of the pandemic with U.S. vaccination efforts picking up speed. New coronavirus cases in the United States rose one, point five percent in the week ending this sunday which is the slowest increase since the pandemic began almost a year ago this means of course that the republicans will try to come up with efforts to expose more people to covid because at the end of the day they are a death cult (laughs) that is your midas (laughs) and they are pro-covid that is your midas touch news update to close this incredible midas touch podcast (laughs) let's give you some Hate mail. Hate mail. Brought to you mail, by mail, the uncancelable brother Jordy <laughs> Mycelus. I, st-
2: I stand behind that. You two can easily get canceled. I don't think there's a world in which I'm not I get sure where you're getting this from. But why don't you read? Can I say his name or do we have to bleep it out? That's a joke. No, you can, t- you can say. So we got name. an email from Beep. a guy named David Tolleson. Uh, subject line: Yes! Exclamation point! I just had the FCC <laughs> find you 50k and seize your assets and website for printing. Lib-tarded nonsense fiction. I should beat all three of your asses in public on principle as a life lesson. (laughs) You just got fucked and there's nothing you can do about it. Except for my Andrew, please excuse my brevity. Yeah, you got to read the signature. A couple things.
1: One of our followers pointed out that David Toleson, the person's name, is very similar to David Dennison, which is the pseudonym that Trump would use when he would uh, make phone calls and and put in quotes about himself to the press and stuff. So it is interesting that it is David Toleson, and it sounds very similar to David Dennison. Maybe this is Trump's burner. Also, the initials David Toleson, DT, Donald Trump. I don't know if we're pissing Trump off with these podcasts and with our videos. Still, and if he's trying to get to us through here. Also, I just had the FCC fine you 50K and Caesar assets and website for printing libtarded nonsense fiction. Is that a legal term that the FCC uses? Is that fineable? I don't quite understand. I should beat all three of you. I mean, we haven't been contacted by the FCC,
2: so you know. I, I guess to everyone listening, just see if you could go on MidasTouch.com and see if it comes up. Because um, last time I checked, uh, we still have the domain and website, Mister David Tolleson.
0: I also yeah. don't know why the FCC would have any involvement <laughs> in, our, in our
1: pack. I'm not yeah.
0: sure he's referring to the wrong organization. Does he mean the
1: FEC? I have no. I have no idea what this guy's saying, but very it was confused, very man. kind of him to say, "Please excuse my brevity." in his, in his concluding <laughs> statement. Yeah, I mean we could. We can give you some more very briefly. David
0: sobolewski calls us fascist pigs, spelt
1: F-A-S-C-H-I-S-T pigs,
0: telling Spelling us is to, not their strong suit. Not their telling us to go to hell. Guy Racer 13, who still maintains his AOL account. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on.
1: Fascist pigs go to hell, lifelong Democrats, your finger jokes. Boycott this, Nazi lovers? What does your finger jokes mean? And how does he call us Nazi lovers when he's kind of like a literal Nazi party that he's defending?
0: I'm with you. The <laughs> other subject, re-oof. Go fuck yourself and your whole fucking pack and the whole orange-ass dipshit Hitler. Fuck the hell off with you fucking... Fuck party. Don jr is really fucked up. Like the rest of
1: it. I don't even know. What. Okay. I'm yes. so confused by this guy racer clearly didn't read the email. He was sent and thinks he's on like Trump's email list or something when oh. he's on our email list. This is actually a, a liberal or a Democrat. It's, it's not a Trump supporter. Fuck the hell off with your fucking uh, C word. I don't party. know. I don't Don know, jr I mean, is really, not think that's right. Threat. He says he, 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 Cause cause he, he says orange. Ass, go fuck it. yourself. And the and your yeah. whole orange ass dips shitler so he's talking about trump there so i don't know how we got looped into this and then you know (laughs) but here's
2: my favorite here's my favorite sorry i'm I'm definitely saying this one okay so this is uh from george brinkman uh
0: at aol.com they all have aol accounts (laughs) (laughs) and
2: and, and, and wait is this a subject line to get the get with that that's that's our
1: subject line that he's replying to
2: okay okay so this is from george brickman aol.com uh all caps fuck you
1: And there you and there you have it, sent, folks. Sent
2: from my iPhone. Please I love excuse my have,
1: brevity. I, I love when they have this thing. Yeah, he should have had the brevity line. Please
2: excuse my
1: brevity. He got right to the point. And <laughs> without further ado, that's, does that make sense? Without further ado, um, oh, I hope you enjoyed the Midas Touch podcast. Thank you for listening out there and making the Midas Touch podcast a top podcast, not only in America, guys, in all of North America. You can catch new episodes of the Midas Touch podcast every Tuesdays and Fridays. We got some incredible guests coming up. Thank you to everybody for your support. Please tell a friend. Please rate us five stars in the Apple Podcast Store. And we'll be back this Friday with more Midas touch podcast. We will see you soon. Shout, Shout out, out to, to the, the Midas, Midas, Midas.
2: You can't say that's my life. Roll